The opinions expressed in the following episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Minds of Madness podcast. Listener discretion is advised. In the summer of 2016, in the city of Bend, Oregon, the future was looking bright for Kaylee Sawyer. The 23-year-old had decided to become a dentist, was in a loving relationship with her longtime boyfriend, and had the full support of her close-knit family. But in the early morning hours of July 24th, while Kaylee was walking alone in the dark, after a rare argument with her boyfriend, someone she thought she could trust offered her a ride someone she thought could help her. Join me now as we take a look into the heartbreaking disappearance of Kaylee Sawyer. In this disturbing case, you'll hear about a predator who used his position of authority as camouflage for sinister intentions and the ensuing violent crime spree of a killer on the run. With only 100,000 residents calling it home, Bend, Oregon is one of the United States' best-kept secrets. Located on the Deschutes River in central Oregon, the town is nestled between ponderosa pine forests of the Cascade Mountains to its west and the high arid desert to its east. The term outdoor playground doesn't begin to do justice for a town surrounded by world-class mountain biking and hiking trails rock climbing, whitewater rivers, and fishing. Factor in having one of the best microbrewery scenes in America, and it's easy to see why Bend continuously ranks high on almost every list of America's most livable cities. Because of its unique blend of the great outdoors, its growing economy due to a blossoming tech industry, and a food and drink culture that punches way above its weight, Bend is the kind of place where people are encouraged to make the most of each day and live life to the fullest. One of the residents who embodied the spirit of Bend was Kaylee Sawyer, a young woman who possessed the unique ability to make friends with anyone she met. Her infectious personality opened up a world of possibilities, and the smart and charismatic Kaylee wanted to pursue them all. Growing up, Kaylee considered pursuing a number of professions including becoming a police officer, a chef, a photographer, and even a brain surgeon. And no one really doubted her ability to do whatever she chose, especially having earned her GED during her sophomore year of high school. But in 2016, at the age of 23, Kaylee finally decided what career path she wanted to follow. She wanted to become a dentist. During the previous two years, Kaylee had worked as a dental assistant, where she quickly endeared herself to co-workers and clients. Her mentor at the dentistry, Lisa Castro, began affectionately referring to Kaylee as her work daughter, and the two became close friends. Even in a dentist office filled with experienced professionals, their rising star Kaylee was the one they trusted most to deal with difficult patients. The ones who were nervous, scared, or just plain grumpy. She had a way about her that seemed to put everyone around her at ease. 
Because of her obvious talents and aptitude as a dental assistant, her co-workers were overjoyed when Kaylee announced she'd enrolled at Central Oregon Community College to become a dentist. It was a perfect fit. Kaylee loved the job, and everyone agreed she already had the smile for it. Almost universally, the first thing people noticed about Kaylee was her smile, her most defining characteristic among a long list of appealing qualities. With her dimpled cheeks and blue-green eyes, she had a striking resemblance to Canadian actress Rachel McAdams, especially when she styled her inviolable blonde hair in loose curls. In July of 2016, Kaylee's mentor Lisa was preparing to get married and invited Kaylee to her bachelorette party. At first, Kaylee wasn't able to attend, but at the last minute, she said she'd be there after all. True to her word, just a little after 8 p.m. on July 23rd, Kaylee showed up to a local bar called Mavericks, where the bachelorette party was underway. Mavericks is a boot-scootin' line-dancing bar, known for its loud country music and Central Oregon's only mechanical bull. The women partied until about 10.30 p.m., when Lisa and most of the others decided to call it a night. Feeling a bit tipsy, but still in good spirits, Kaylee said goodbye to Lisa before she and a friend headed to another downtown bar to continue their night out. As the night wore on, Kaylee's friend thought she'd had too much to drink when she saw Kaylee flirting with a guy at the bar. Knowing Kaylee had been in a serious relationship with Cameron Riemhofer for two years, Kaylee's friend thought it was probably time for her to go home. At around midnight, Cameron arrived to pick up Kaylee. During the drive home, the couple began arguing about Kaylee's behavior at the bar, and the argument continued into the parking lot of their apartment complex. Eventually, Cameron stormed into their apartment, leaving Kaylee outside in the car, expecting her to follow him. But after 10 minutes, Kaylee still hadn't come in. When Cameron went outside to check on her, there was no sign of Kaylee. She was gone. Kaylee had been known to take walks when she was angry, so Cameron wasn't immediately overconcerned by her absence. Besides, they lived directly next to the community college campus, a very safe area in an already very safe town. Nevertheless, it was dark and Kaylee was intoxicated, so Cameron started calling and texting her, even driving around looking for her. Their text messages, however, continued to be confrontational and Kaylee abruptly ended their conversation with a final message that said, Goodbye, phone off. Dejected and frustrated, Cameron returned to their apartment and fell asleep. When he woke up the next morning to find Kaylee still not there, he became concerned and started calling her family and friends, but no one had a clue where Kaylee was. It was time for Cameron to call police and report her missing. Dispatch, how can I help you? Hi. I'm not sure if this is quite the right number to call. Last night, I got home from the bars with my girlfriend, and she got upset at me and ran off. Mm -hmm. And I chased her and wasn't able to find her, and I still haven't heard from her. Her phone's off. I called all her family, and they haven't heard from her, so I'm wondering what you recommend I do. We can put in a call, and we can uh, have officers and deputies uh, look for her. Okay. Where was she last seen at? Um, College Way. College in what? Um, Alpine Meadows Apartment Complex. It's like at the top of College Way. In the parking lot... Just in the parking lot? You guys yeah, don't live there? Or? Yes, we live there together. 
yeah, she was mad at me, so I walked inside and told her to come meet me in there when she's like, calm down. And then I went back out in 10 minutes, and she was gone. And I called her a few times, and she said she was walking down the street. And then I guess she said her phone was about to die. And then she, I couldn't get a hold of her after that. I haven't heard from her since. Okay. Any idea where she would go or... I figured she'd go where her car was to her best friend or her mom's. I've been over to both, talked to her dad, and I just haven't heard anything from anybody knowing this. On Sunday, July 24th, just before 1 a.m., Kaylee Sawyer sat fuming in her boyfriend's car as she watched him walk into their apartment. Needing to take some time for herself before she headed inside, Kaylee decided to take a walk on the college campus next door. Summer temperatures in Bend frequently hit 90 degrees during the day, but fall down into the 40s overnight. But despite the cold, Kaylee walked into the darkness alone intoxicated and wearing the same black dress and heels she'd worn to the bachelorette party. As she walked through the campus, Kaylee heard the sound of an approaching vehicle that eventually stopped beside her. It was a police-grade campus security SUV, fully equipped with lights, sirens, and a holding cage. In the driver's seat was 31-year-old security guard Edwin Lara, dressed almost exactly like a police officer. It's unknown how Edwin ultimately managed to lure Kaylee into the back seat of the SUV, but it's safe to assume it's because she thought she could trust him. Regardless, once Kaylee was in the holding cage, with no way of escaping, Edwin propositioned her for sex and demanded she hand over her phone and purse. After passing her belongings to Edwin through the hole in the holding cage, Kaylee came to the terrifying realization that the doors of the patrol vehicle could only be opened from the outside. That's when she began screaming for help. In order to silence her, Edwin opened the back door, reached in, and choked Kaylee with his bare hands until she passed out. With Kaylee unconscious in the back seat, he drove the SUV to a small secluded parking lot on campus called B12. It's an area completely surrounded by woods and for those intimately familiar with the campus layout, like Edwin, the perfect place to commit a crime. In the minutes it took Edwin to reach the parking lot, Kaylee had regained consciousness and began screaming, attempting to attract attention. She even tried to crawl through the same hole she passed her purse through, fighting to reach the dashboard in a desperate attempt to turn on the sirens or lights or even honk the horn. But before she could sound the alarm, Edwin wrestled Kaylee from the back of the vehicle and choked her unconscious again before clubbing her over the head with a large rock. Believing he killed her, Edwin dragged Kaylee's body behind a tree in the woods and raped her. But Kaylee was still alive. When Edwin realized he showed no mercy, and picked up a boulder weighing nearly 70 pounds and toppled it over her. Certain this time she was dead, Edwin left Kaylee's body in the woods and finished out his shift, trying to behave as normal as possible as he spoke to co-workers, took a shower, and cleaned out his patrol vehicle. After finishing work, Edwin drove back to the B-12 lot to retrieve Kaylee's body before driving toward the nearby town of Redmond and tossing her body into a ravine along the highway like trash. Edwin Laura then drove home, 
climbed into bed and fell asleep next to a bend police officer, his wife, Isabel Ponce. Isabel Ponce was a rookie officer still in training with the Bend Police Department, a profession he was initially supportive of, but his enthusiasm soon began to wane when Isabel entered the police academy and it became clear she was advancing her career at a faster pace than he was. He too had aspired to become a police officer. While Isabel was away at the academy, Edwin began having an affair with another woman a relationship he eventually confessed to his wife as he begged for forgiveness. Rather than calling it quits, the couple decided to work on their marriage. They also both stopped drinking and began attending church together regularly. On his bedside table, Edwin kept a well-used Bible where he wrote prolific notes in the margins beside his favorite scriptures. He also joined the church's worship team. On Sunday, July 24th, Isabel Ponce woke up early and woke up Edwin to get ready for church, but she noticed he wasn't acting like himself. During their drive to the Sunday service, he was overly quiet and didn't seem to want to hold her hand like he usually did, but Isabel chalked it up to their marital problems and decided not to press him further, fearing it would only make matters worse. They then spent the entire day together even going out to the movies that evening and becoming intimate before bed. The following morning, Isabel woke around 9 a.m. while Edwin slept in later than usual. When he finally did emerge from the bedroom, Isabel knew something was seriously wrong. She could tell he'd been crying. That's when he confessed he'd murdered Kaylee Sawyer. But his version of the story was very different from what had actually happened. Isabel later recounted to police what Edwin had told her. So he comes out of the room and his eyes were all teary. That's why I'm like, what happened? Tell me what happened. Why? What's wrong? So he sits on the sofa. I turn off the TV and then he just says that. He's like, I, I kill a woman, that's what he said. And I'm like, what do you mean? Then he's like, I hit her with the car. And did he tell you which car? He said the, the security, the, the job, the car that they used at the job. And what, and what did you say to that? So I'm like, what do you mean? What, what, what do you mean you hit her? And he's like, yeah, I hit her and I panicked. And I'm like, what, is, what do you mean by you hit her panicking? What did you do? Did, did he say, I hit her in a panic? He said, I don't remember exactly the words that he said, but he said something that he hit her with the car yeah. and then he panicked. Okay. So then I asked him, like, that's what I was trying for him to explain to me. So you hit her with the car. That's an accident. Yeah. Why? What do you mean you panic? What, what do you mean? And what did he say? He just kept saying, I panic. And at that point, he's already, like, he got up and he's already, like, going into the room and walking back and forth. And I'm not really quite understanding what he's telling me. He said an intoxicated woman had walked onto the road and he simply didn't see her. But what he said next didn't make any sense, especially to a police officer like Isabel, 
Okay, so then he says that he hit her with the car. And I asked him, well, where is there any signs that you hit her or what? And then he said that, no, there was no signs. And then I'm like, so what did you do with the body, what? And he's like, I hit her. And I'm like, and then I kept asking him, what does it got to do with you hitting her? And now you got naked and you hit the body. So it didn't make sense to you? It wasn't making sense to me. Their conversation only lasted a few minutes before Edwin began saying he needed to go. He then grabbed Isabel's handgun from her purse and went to leave. And then right before he left, he's like, her stuff is in the shed. Her stuff is in the shed. And I think it's because I kept telling them, it doesn't make sense. It's like, you're lying to me. It's not. So I feel like he told me that. So I could go see it and say, oh, and it's true. Yeah. Because it wasn't making sense to me. And I, I think he, he was seeing that, it, like, I wasn't believing that. Like, it felt like, it felt like a movie. Like, it just it wasn't making any sense to me. Investigators obtained a search warrant for Edwin's property and found Kaylee's possessions in the shed as Isabel had indicated. There they found her green purse, soaked in blood. They also found a rock, the one Edwin had first used to hit Kaylee in the parking lot. Inside the same shed, detectives also found something that sent shivers down their spines. It was a poster board presentation Edwin had made for a college psychology class about Angel Ramirez, a notorious serial killer from the 90s, also known as the Railroad Killer. In the presentation, Edwin made a special note to point out that Ramirez always killed his victims with blunt force trauma, using only weapons found at the scene. Exactly what he'd done to Kaylee. Looking at the bloodstained rock they'd just discovered, Detectives began to highly doubt Kaylee's death was the accident Edwin had described to Isabel. Kaylee's missing persons case was now officially labeled a homicide investigation, with one of Oregon's largest manhunts underway to track down Edwin Lara. Police knew Edwin was armed, dangerous, and on the run. And after finding his homage to a serial killer, they feared the worst. It was entirely possible Edwin was out there somewhere, at that exact moment, looking for his next victim. And they were right. Later that same day, 130 miles northwest of Bend, in the town of Salem, Oregon, Edwin hid in a parking lot of a clothing store. As the sun dropped below the horizon, he was waiting patiently, carefully observing the shoppers hunting for the right opportunity, and at 8.45 p.m., he found exactly who he was looking for, 19-year-old Andrea Mays. She'd just finished working a double shift at the Ross Dress for Less clothing store and was headed to her car. As Edwin secretly watched her move through the parking lot, he saw three things he was looking for, an attractive young woman like Kaylee, a woman who was alone, and someone with a car. Edwin then reached through a passenger window, unlocked the door, and jumped into the passenger seat. While holding Isabel's gun, he ordered Andrea to drive. But Andrea did something Edwin never expected. She began laughing, thinking it was a prank, so he pressed the barrel of the gun into her thigh and told her it was no joke and that he'd shoot her if she didn't comply. 
terrified, Andrea began driving south on Interstate 5 toward Northern California, with Edwin still pointing the gun at her. As she drove, Edwin attempted small talk, even confessing to Kaylee's murder. But despite her terror, Andrea kept her wits about her and began subtly driving over the speed limit, hoping the state trooper would pull them over. But Edwin eventually noticed and took over driving. Andrea's car also had an oil leak that she decided to play up by making it sound much worse than it actually was, trying to persuade Edwin to find another car, hoping he would continue on without her. Instead, Edwin bought some extra oil and drove them a hundred miles south of Salem, where he secured a motel room for the night. Once inside the room, Edwin handcuffed Andrea to the bed frame and forced her to swallow sleeping pills. As Andrea desperately tried to stay awake, she convinced herself Edwin was going to sexually assault her once she fell asleep, but she was exhausted from her double shift that day, and as the sleeping pills began to take effect, her eyes grew heavy and Edwin began licking her earlobes. Just as she was about to fall asleep, the alarm on Andrea's phone suddenly began to chime. Confused and suspicious, Edwin demanded she tell him what the alarm was for. He even considered the alarm might somehow be a signal to police. Although Andrea truly had no idea why her alarm went off, in those few seconds, she managed to come up with a clever lie that almost certainly saved her from being assaulted. She told Edwin the alarm was a reminder to take her daily medication, medication for a nasty STD that made her very sick without it. Miraculously, her story worked, and Edwin immediately decided they needed to leave the motel. It was apparent Edwin was becoming flustered, even paranoid. He could swear police were right on their tail, and that he could hear helicopters looking for them. As Edwin continued heading toward California, he became increasingly concerned about the oil leak and decided they needed to steal another car. On Tuesday, July 26th, around 5 in the morning, a conservationist and butterfly expert named Jack Levy was preparing for an early start to his day. He was staying at a Super 8 motel in Wairika, California, and he planned to head off to a nearby mountain range to catch a glimpse of an elusive butterfly. As he began loading his photography equipment into his car parked directly in front of his room, Edwin and Andrea were just pulling up. When Jack went back inside his room to gather another armful of equipment, Edwin followed him and demanded he hand over his car keys. But when Jack began to call for help, Edwin shot him in the stomach. As Jack fell to the floor, Edwin grabbed Andrea and ran out of the room. Jack then managed to crawl to a phone and dial 911 and was eventually rescued by paramedics. Desperate to make a quick getaway, Edwin forced Andrea to run with him to the nearest gas station looking for another car to steal. Just then, Edwin spotted a vehicle with its doors open and shoved Andrea into the back seat before climbing into the front passenger seat. In the driver's seat was a 17-year-old boy. Edwin then pointed his gun at the boy's head and demanded he drive or he'd shoot. In the back with Andrea was the driver's younger brother and elderly grandmother. Somehow the boys in the car managed to convince Edwin he'd be better off just taking the car and leaving them behind. 
and so after driving about 15 miles, Edwin left the family on the side of the road as he continued on with Andrea. Shortly after, Edwin used Andrea's phone to post a live Facebook video, but secretly, Andrea changed her privacy settings so no one else could see the post. Hi everybody, um, I just want to say that I apologize for everything I've done. Most likely I'm going to get caught. And uh, sorry about that girl, about that girl in Central Oregon. And I just want to let family member uh, Andrea that she's fine and she will be fine because uh, so far she's been doing what I've been going to do. And if you guys are wondering if I have done dirty things to her, no. All right, I'm not that kind of guy. I used to kill that other girl, you know, and I regret it. I regret killing her. You know, she's kept screaming and I've stopped her forever. After recording the video, a California state trooper watched Edwin fly past, going over 100 miles per hour. Without a clue of who he was chasing, the trooper turned on his siren and tried to pull him over, but Edwin continued on. During the high-speed car chase, Edwin dialed 911 and informed the dispatcher he was the driver of the vehicle the trooper was in pursuit of. 911 emergency reporting. Yes, hi. This is Edwin Lara, and I'm the guy on Interstate, Interstate 5 going at high speed. I, I know you guys have the chopper on me already. Yeah. And uh, Yeah, I just want to say I am going to turn myself in. Okay, where are you at? Okay, I'm on I-5, uh, I think close to Reading, if I'm right. So, you know, I, I am wanted for murder in the state of Oregon. Okay. Edwin, yeah. where are you at right now? Can you stop? I am going to stop once I hit Reading. Once I'm in Reading, I'm going to stop. As Edwin stayed on the phone with the dispatcher for nearly 15 minutes, he rambled on about remarkably trivial things, considering the circumstances. I want to ask you a favor. Uh-huh. So have asthma. You have asthma? Okay. Yeah, so you tell them not to be too rough on me because, you know, I, I can't really breathe right now. You know, I forgot my inhaler at home. You know, I went all over, all over uh, uh, Salem, Oregon looking for for an inhaler, but I guess they don't sell it, you know, behind the counter or out of counter. So. Edwin, how fast are you going? I'm going about 120 miles an You're hour about right 120 now. miles an hour? Yes. Can you slow down? He then told the dispatcher to request police not to shoot him. I don't want to get shot. I mean, okay, I, I will let them know, but you need to make sure you just listen carefully, okay? okay. Just, just to let you know, I have a bulletproof vest. Are you wearing it? Yes. Okay, well, you're not going to try to do anything, right? No, I'm not. Okay. You want me to throw my gun out of the window right now? No, not right now. No, 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 don't do that right now. Finally... The dispatcher convinced Edwin to pull over to the shoulder of the interstate, where police arrested him. They also arrested Andrea as an accomplice, unaware she was just an innocent victim. After everything Andrea had already endured, her terrible day was far from over. After being arrested, she was then strip-searched at the police station. Even worse, her name and photo were then plastered all over the evening news. Meanwhile, detectives back in Oregon raced to the small California jail. When they got there, they set the record straight regarding Andrea, and she was soon released from police custody. To their incredible surprise, Edwin was asking to speak to detectives. 
Knowing Edwin's background and familiarity with law enforcement, detectives were shocked he was willing to speak to them without a lawyer present. Even so, they still carefully and deliberately read Edwin's rights on videotape before his interview. What followed was a marathon-length interview with a murderer who seemed to be enjoying his newfound notoriety. When detectives asked Edwin to state his name for the record, he responded by saying they already knew. Hello, sir. Hi. My name is Sergeant Beckwith. I shouldn't introduce myself because you know me. Uh, we know a little bit, right? <laughs> At first, Edwin tells detectives the same story he told Isabel, that it all been a horrible accident. What happened, man? What happened? So I was putting signs up for that there was an event going on. I said oh, college, yeah. and I was going to turn south of College Way on the B4 lot. I was going to turn south on the do not enter area there. And I didn't see her. She was wearing all black. So I was in a hurry, so it was my fault. And I wasn't expecting anybody, you know, at that time of night. So I just turned, and, and I, I mean, I didn't hit her that hard. I used bumper with the the patrol car, bumper with the front rack, and she fell down. And at first, I thought, you know, first thing I was all killed her, but I didn't hit her that hard. So I got off the car, and she was really drunk. And then she looks at me, and then she started screaming. She started screaming at you. She did. So I panic and I grab her with toes. Oh, shut up, shut up, shut up. She passed out, put her on the back of the patrol car, drove her up in the B-12 lot, and then I was panicking, I didn't know what to do. She already seen me, she saw my face. <clears throat> so I opened the door, and that's when she came back. She started screaming again, so I grabbed a shot cold. She was struggling to scream. So I threw her down and I had a block on the head. Initially, detectives were pretty easy on Edwin, letting him talk as much as he wanted until they knew it was time to ramp up the pressure. Edwin, we're missing something here, man. Look, yeah, I know what you guys are thinking, and it makes perfect sense. It does. Why would, you ask, you why would you ask for her purse? What was in your head that made you want her purse? Just in case she had a gun, she had she, she could defend herself. She was gonna use her phone to call nine one one, call for so, But listen to listen to this. According to your story, th this is where it does not make sense. If your intent isn't already there to do some kind of harm or some kind of evil to her, some friggin' evil that's there, bro, it's there. You just gotta face it down, man. You can't cower away from it. You face that damn thing down right now. If you think the only way, if you don't have intent in her head, your thought is, i got to keep that phone away from her because she's going to call from help before anything bad's even happened. You've already made a decision. Am I right or am I wrong? Tell me. So I made the decision that I to silence to kill her. I, let's be real. When you say yeah. silence her, you mean kill her. That's right. Because when did you make that decision? She started screaming. 
because she has seen my face. But you already grabbed her phone. You already kept her away from making a call for help or contacting someone. So you're already preserving yourself. So I'm thinking it's before when you ask for the purse, I think you already know in your head, I'm going to silence her. I'm going to kill her. That, why else would you ask? So when she gave me her, like she had her phone, because I knew her phone was back like, it, it just clicked on my head and I put her purse back there, her phone is in you know. <clears throat> so I told her, give me, give me purse. So then tell me exactly how you said, give me your purse. <clears throat> Say exactly how you said it. Okay, so I went, give me your fucking purse. Just like that. Just like that. Okay. So she hands over the purse and I'm like, your phone is not in here. And she, she goes, yes, it is. So I start digging in the purse with this hand and I find phone is there. So then. You know, very leave, but at this time she's struggling with the door, and I'm, and I'm down. Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! Shut up! You know why you felt relieved when you found that phone? You know why? Tell me why you felt relieved. She wasn't calling and she was never gonna get away because she had seen my face. Sorry, to see your face, and you already knew what you were gonna do. No, you were gonna silence her. You were told to stay. Well, yeah, but. Why else would I, you grab her phone? Because from the moment that's when I knew that she was a hooker, you know, and she's gonna tell, she's gonna say something. She, if I let her out of the car, <clears throat> she's gonna go say, "Hey, you know, security guard, rape." Let me back up. Let's just settle this right now. When you saw that girl, picked her up. Were your intentions to help her? because you are a security guard on the campus and people look up to you, was your intent to find some way to help her? Or was your intent to find a way of her, either by paying for sex or taking sex? And when things went south, you knew you had to kill her because now the person she looks to for safety and security wants something from her that she doesn't want to give. So when I picked her up, because, you know, usually when we help someone, we call it on the radio. Did you call it on the radio? No. Because I thought she was a And I asked why. Why? That's why I didn't call it on the radio. That's why I didn't call it on the radio. And when I realized she was an upper, I felt discovered. Oh, crap. Over the course of Edwin's six-hour interview, he eventually abandoned his car accident story and fully confessed to murdering Kaylee Sawyer, informing detectives exactly where they could find her remains. With Edwin's full and frank confession, police believed it was an opened and shut case. However, they were wrong. Months later, a video surfaced, showing Edwin asking an officer when he'd be able to speak to a lawyer before being interrogated. A judge later determined Edwin had indeed invoked his right to counsel, and his entire confession was thrown out of evidence, a heavy blow to prosecutors in a case that was now a death penalty case. Even without Edwin's confession, the evidence was overwhelming. Kaylee had Edwin's DNA under her fingernails, Police had the murder weapon, and Kaylee's blood was found in Edwin's patrol vehicle. That's when Edwin's attorney offered to make a plea deal in order to avoid the death penalty. 
Prosecutors and Kaylee's family eventually agreed to the deal, and Edwin pled guilty on January 23, 2018 to the aggravated murder of Kaylee Sawyer and was sentenced to life in prison. Doug Gray, a friend of the Sawyer family, gave an impact statement that demonstrated just some of the anger felt toward Edwin for taking Kaylee from them. I'm not much of a religious person, but I have my beliefs, and one of them is an eye for an eye. So if you will give custody to this piece of shit, to my extended family, we'll take them out in the desert, we'll let the eagles, the hawks, the coyotes, and the maggots eat that piece of shit alive, and then, when the buzzards are done pecking his friggin' body, I'm gonna shit in his face and piss on his carcass, and I'm gonna fill his carcass full of lead. It was Kaylee's grandfather's impact statement that perhaps summed up the family's feelings the most. If I were to be given three wishes, these are what they'd be. Number one, to have our Kaylee back with us, alive and well, and pursuing her life. I know that's impossible. Number two, I'd wish to have this piece of garbage, the defendant, sentenced to death for what he's done to my Kaylee. And number three, I wish the court system and the state of Oregon would just hand him over to me and allow me to administer the death sentence. I realize all of my wishes are just that, just wishes. But he will die in prison, and it will be a lifetime experience for you. He'll probably wish he'd been given the death sentence. Rotten hell, scumbag. When Edwin was given an opportunity to speak, he launched into a theatrical prayer that seemed more like he was putting on a performance than demonstrating any kind of remorse. God Almighty who are in heaven, I'll ask you to please heal the hearts, all those broken hearts of this community. I ask you to please heal the hearts of this family, of everyone who is in this place today. And may Kaylee Sawyer rest in peace. As he spoke, Kaylee's grandfather and other family members exited the courtroom in disgust. The murder of Kaylee Sawyer and Edwin's ensuing crime spree seemed to come out of nowhere. Edwin had a criminal justice degree and was pursuing a career in law enforcement. He was also a member of his church's worship team and had zero criminal history. It left many wondering how it was possible for someone with a spotless record like Edwin to seemingly transform into a monster overnight. As Kaylee's family began asking these same questions, they quickly discovered alarming details about Edwin. Details that should have been obvious red flags to the college who hired him as a security officer. Co-workers of Edwin's would later paint a much darker portrait of the man, revealing a disturbing pattern of behavior. For starters, he'd often show them pornographic videos he'd recorded of himself, as well as naked photos of the woman he was having an affair with something that made them extremely uncomfortable. They also noted Edwin had an odd obsession with dead bodies and would often send off-putting pictures through text messages. One female co-worker was so creeped out by Edwin, she refused to ever sit in the same vehicle with him. These revelations 
along with the fact that campus security guards were given uniforms and patrol vehicles that looked exactly like real police vehicles, led Kaylee's family to pursue legal action against the college, as well as pressuring state lawmakers for reform. In 2019, what became known as Kaylee's Law passed through the state legislature regulating the conduct of campus security operations in Oregon. Security guards could no longer resemble officers or drive vehicles with police lights and holding cages. In addition, all security personnel would have to complete a national background check as well as a psychological evaluation. Kaylee's family finds some solace, knowing their efforts have helped to make their community safer for young women, hoping no one else's daughter will ever suffer the same fate as theirs. But when it comes to Kaylee, their biggest hope is for people to not think of her as a victim, because in their eyes, she was so much more. When Kaylee was just 17, she told her mother she hoped people would describe her as smart, strong, and funny. And for her friends and family, or anyone who'd ever met Kaylee, that's exactly how they've chosen to remember her. I'd like to thank the following new Patreon supporters, Karen Q, Angelica R, John B, Anna Margarita L, Ren W, Amy K, Cy, Carlos E, Jacqueline R, Wendriel L, Nicole M, Jesse K, Jamie C, Latera, Valerie F, and Amy C. And now I would like to introduce you to the podcast, Unethical Podcast. Hi, I'm Celeste. Hi, I'm Richard. Hey, I'm Christy. And I'm Tally. We're the hosts of Unethical Podcast. Every episode, we take a humorous dive into a case study that poses an ethical question. Like, should mentally ill murderers ever be released? No. We discuss what the outcomes of these cases are and what they should be with a unique guest host every episode. Richard needs some more testosterone around here. Nah, I think it's mostly coming from Celeste. Girls are mean. Our podcast is no holds barred, true crime, comedy, adult content, and definitely not for everybody. Like, but like most people, most people aren't like, can handle swear words and stuff, right? Am I right about that? No. No. You can subscribe wherever you eat your podcasts to listen. Follow us on Instagram where we post our teasers to guess what's coming next. And join us on Facebook to get involved in the conversation. Welcome to Unethical Podcast. The Minds of Madness can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, Google Play, and all other podcast platforms. Ad-free episodes of this show are available on Stitcher Premium. If you would like to support this show and get some extra perks, including extra content, early release, and ad-free episodes, go to patreon.com slash madnesspod. You can find our website by going to mindsofmadnesspodcast.com. 
gmail.com. To find us on Facebook and Instagram, search The Minds of Madness. And on Twitter, using the handle at MadnessPod. And finally, the closing track, Feel the Madness, is provided by The Funkors. You can find them at the record label's website by going to goldenerrorecords.com.au slash G-E. Someone's standing at my door.